Take your Bibles, if you will, your copy of the Word of God, and go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. I am encouraged to be in the house of the Lord and, and thinking of the old rugged cross and thinking about you know, what it was like for our Savior you know, a couple thousand years ago at this time, at this, uh, this Sunday, when you know, a lot of the folks as he entered there in Jerusalem were praising his name. And uh, he even said if, if they didn't do that, the rocks would, would scream out and praise his name. So there, there's a lot of folks there that were happy to see him and just three days later yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But our Lord, as you well know, um, came for a, a purpose that was greater than any motive of man. He came for the salvation of our souls. And uh, it is very thankful for that. And, and speaking of that, as we, as we serve the Lord... Uh, here at Holmfuss Baptist Church and or wherever you go next and uh, wherever you may be in life, whether you're sitting in these chairs here at, uh, at our church here this morning or find yourself in the workplace or wherever you may be, um, Christ has done a lot for us. An, un, an unimaginable performance, task, event, however you want to describe what the Lord has done for us, a miracle, the Lord has I mean, we stand in awe um, of what God has done for us. And, you know, there's that hymn that talks about when, when we think about what Christ has done for us. Uh, the writer of the hymn says, I scarce can take it in. And that really speaks about how we understand what Christ has done for us. And in turn, we'll, we will never be able to pay back what God's done for us. It's just impossible. And, and he doesn't even ask for us to pay that back. Now, he, there are some requirements, of course. But for those who, for all of, all of humanity, all of those who are created in the image of God, which is every person, every, every man and woman, every boy and girl, uh, every individual, uh, there are a couple things that God wants us to do. Uh, and above all of those things, if I can entitle all those things or put all those things under one umbrella, umbrella God wants us to live a life of faith. And that's what I've entitled this, this morning's message, a life of faith. God wants us to live a life of faith. And there's a couple things that we have to do uh, in order for us to live that life of faith. And we're going to talk about those things. And I have five or six things here this morning that I want to share with you from this last epistle of the Apostle Paul. These, these 22 verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4 are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul. They, 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 don't know, they don't raise or rise above any other scripture, of course, but they have some significant value in that they are his last words to his son in the faith. His farewell chapter, if you will. And we can easily see in this chapter, in this chapter alone, the marks of a life that's been lived for faith. Let's begin reading right there in verse number one of 2 Timothy chapter 4. The Bible says, God, through the Apostle Paul, speaks to us. He writes, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. 
But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but praise God unto all them also that love is appearing. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Christians to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent to Ephesus, the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus. When thou comest, bring with thee, and the books, but especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did be much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou art also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca, Prisca and Achilla, and the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, you are a great God. You are the only God. And Lord, and we love you this morning. Lord, help us to, Lord, to put out the world for a moment, to ignore the agendas, the trials of life, the blessings of life, all the things that could easily distract us from focusing on you this morning. Help us to ignore those things. And Lord, help us to commit all our faculties to seeing you high and lifted up this morning. Lord, what you did for us on that cross of Calvary, Lord, greater love hath no man than what you've done for us, Lord. And Lord, we're very thankful for that, Lord, and we love you. Lord, I ask that you use us this morning. Use this sermon that you've given me, Lord. Help me to convey to your people, to all of us here today, Lord, what, what is in your text and what you've given me to expound upon, Lord. Lord, help me to be obedient to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us all to be open. Help us to be pure in heart, Lord. Help us to confess our sins even at this very moment, Lord, so that we can see your hand moving amongst us, Lord. Only the pure in heart shall see you, Lord. Help us to be that. Cleanse us, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you just meet with us in a way that, that we know that we walk away from here. We have, been me we have met with you, Lord, that you are here with us in the presence of your Holy Spirit. Where two or three are gathered, Lord, I know from your word and from experience, Lord, that you are here with us. Lord, we're thankful for that, Lord. Thank you for becoming man. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying our sin debt. Thank you for walking out of that grave, Lord. Thank you for rising. Thank you for mediating between us and the Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, use me again this morning. Help us to see what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So a life of faith. i got to be honest with you. As I, as I put these 
these thoughts together, it was, it was challenging to me. And there are some points here that are more challenging than others and some more motivating than others. But they're all from the text. I hope that that comes across clear. But Paul here gave us an example as he followed his Savior, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, of how to live a life of faith. And we should all have a desire to live a life of faith. It's actually demanded of all people. A life of faith. What is a life of faith? Simply, I think it's a life that's lived for Jesus Christ. That puts him above all. There's no, there's no first place, second place, but just Jesus. He's preeminent. He's his own list, the beginning and the end. A life of faith is a life that recognizes that we would not have the life that we have if it were not for the author of life. He is the author. He is God. He gave us life. In this short chapter here, 22 verses, I believe that we can easily identify a handful of characteristics here that mark those or that give characteristics rather of those who have a life of faith. And really, it should be the goal of every individual, especially believers. But speaking of every individual, I want you to look right there at verse number one. And we're going to go verse by verse and then maybe some passages by passages. Um, We are going to tackle this this entire chapter this morning. Some of them in individual and some of them in a greater, the verses that are in greater uh, collection of verses. But look at verse number one by itself. Paul writes, I charge thee to Timothy, therefore before God, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So in this first verse, I know he goes on, it's it's a foundational verse here, but in this first verse of Paul's last chapter in Scripture, he unequivocally uses the return of Christ, right? The righteous judge who's going to come the quick and judge the quick and the dead. He uses that as a foundation to support his apostolic charge that he's about to give to Timothy to preach the word and do some other things. So in that foundational phrase, Paul emphatically categorizes all of humanity in two groups. You see that right there in the passage, right? The quick and the dead. The quick and the dead. The quick means the alive and the dead, of course, mean dead. Now, we know from many other passages in Scripture that this is not just a simple reference to those who are physically alive or physically dead. There are some passages about those things. But this is a reference to those who are alive in Christ and those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And every single human being, including every one of us, fit in one of these two categories. We might fit in a whole, whole bunch of other categories, but we fit in one of these. There's no doubt about it. We are either alive, spiritually speaking, or we are dead. Those, who have, those through faith who have accepted Christ as their Savior, they are the quick. The alive and those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior are dead. Are dead. The question right off the bat here this morning is, which one are you? So our first number point, do you have a redeemed life? Our point, our first category here. Which group are you in? As kind that I know how to say it, if you don't have Christ, you are dead. You are dead. Just to put it in a, in, a, in, a, in a different light, I guess, when Adam and Eve were created, God created them in the image of God. They had communication with God. They had a soul and a spirit and all those things that would live forever. But when they sinned, they turned their back against God. The Bible says, thou shalt surely die. And they died spiritually the moment they sinned. 
an empty hole. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of us, creates within us a new creature in Christ, and we are made alive. We are quickened. We've been given eternal life. Again, which group are you in this morning? Is your soul still on the slave market of sin? Is your soul still bartered back and forth between one flea market, if you will, to another flea market over and over to slave to many other things, to slave to sin? Or have you been purchased by the blood of Christ? Have you been purchased? Again, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, you are dead. You are dead. And the judge is coming. The judge is coming. I hope that sinks and I hope that resonates, especially if you are not a believer this morning. Let that resonate. You are dead. You don't have the God of this world living in you. And the judge is coming. And the number one thing he's going to judge is, are you mine? If you are not alive, you are not his. Let that sink in. If you don't have Christ, you are dead. It's not about going to church. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about doing all the good deeds in the world. It's about trusting Christ as your Savior. If you don't know Him, you are dead and you will always be dead unless you receive that free gift. That judge is coming. The very first foundational characteristic that we have in the life of faith is that of redemption. Do you have a redeemed life? Again, it's not... It's not like it's something we must achieve, this redeemed life. It's something we receive. Romans 3.23 states that eternal life through Jesus Christ is a gift. A gift. A free a gift. I know we say free gift, but to really to put free in front of gift, it's kind of redundant because gifts are free. But it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God. Romans 10.13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you are here and you are spiritually dead and the judge comes back while we're here, you will go to hell against the will of God because he gave you a gift and you do not want to receive that gift. Have you received the gift of God? Have you received Jesus Christ? Are you redeemed this morning? It's, it's more important than being embarrassed. It's more important than sitting in this church right here and saying, my parents think I'm saved. My spouse thinks I'm saved. My children think I'm saved. It's more important to walk forward and say, you know what? I'm not sure. I'll want to go to heaven because when we get to stand before that judge, we're going to make sure, or it, there's no, we don't have to make sure about it at all. We're going to wish that we were right in what we believed. Amen. And we want to make sure that we are in accordance with the word of God. Are you redeemed this morning? The judge is coming. The judge is coming. But as the New Testament makes abundantly clear throughout the text, redemption, salvation is just the beginning. Salvation permeates your whole life of Jesus Christ or our life in Christ. We are redeemed for a purpose, the Bible says. We are redeemed for His purpose. So if, if you are a believer this morning, you are redeemed. You meet this first characteristic. I want you to see that, that verse there again. Let's see down there, verse, uh, verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So if you are redeemed this morning, there are some responsibilities that we have to do, that we have 
a part of our life as being Christians. We must lead a responsible life. If we want to have a life of faith, there is some responsibilities. I mean, that just makes sense, right? If you want to be a soldier and you sign the dotted line and there are some responsibilities, some things expected of you, the same thing goes for the Christian life. In fact, the responsibilities we have as Christians far outweigh any secular responsibility that we have. So Paul here... In the text here is telling Timothy, despite the opposition, despite the potential lack of reception, Paul says to Timothy, make full proof of your ministry. Look at verses two again. He says, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time's going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. In other words, they're gonna, you're going to preach to them and you're going to tell them a truth. And some of us as Christians have been in this category sometimes. We're not going to like what we hear, truth or not. And we're going to go to a church or we're going to go to a friend or whoever it may be. I like what he's saying better. It makes me feel good on the inside, but it's wrong and it's a lie because it doesn't line up with the Scriptures. I mean, think about it. If you, if you knew the... The remedy or, or the solution to some, some issues, uh, some person's problem that they're going through. And you chose not to tell them. And you said, it's going to be all right. Just walk across the street, little Johnny. Don't worry about those cars. How does your love for little Johnny? It's not, it's not evident. It's not manifested in your actions. But if you say, Johnny, stop. Look both ways. There's cars coming. Don't go across the street without making sure you, you're not going to get hit by a car. Well... Isn't the Christian life, don't we have that responsibility for those who are not in Christ, for those who are in Christ and not living right? It's okay. Just live like you want to live. There's no judge coming. You're not going to stand before a holy God one day. It's quite okay. Just be happy here. That's what counts. That's the world's message. That's not God's message. We need to follow the word of God here. Paul tells Timothy, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist regardless of how they respond to you. They're going to they're not. There's going to be a time when they just go away. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to ridicule you. Stay the course. Preach the word. Be responsible. Live a responsible life. Make full proof. Of your life. You know, we were reminded last week that we have an inherent responsibility to live a Christian life. We have a new life in Christ. We are responsible and one of the underlying thrusts of this entire epistle to Timothy is to be a responsible Christian. To be responsible. To depart from iniquity. To be usable. To be meet for the master. Y'all remember all these things. We went through it for two months now. We've been in 2 Timothy. And we see these charges, these ought tos from Paul to Timothy. Live right. Depart from iniquity. You have a higher calling. Live unto God, not according to the world. Over and over and over again, he's telling Timothy, be responsible. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We are created to work for Him as Christians. And 1 Corinthians 6.20 states that we are bought with a price. We're not on that slave market anymore. We're not being shifted from flea market to flea market, to slave trader, to sin trader, and over and over and over again. We've been bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as redeemed creatures... As professing followers of Jesus Christ, we have a distinct responsibility. 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to, well, follow Christ. Follow Him. Follow Him. In Romans 1.14, speaking of this responsibility, I think, I believe, Paul wrote that he was in debt to all men. All men. To the Greek, to the Gentiles, to all men, Paul says. But kind of strangely, strangely enough, in Romans 13, towards the end of that epistle to the Romans, in verse 8, he charged Christians to not owe any man. So he begins that book with, I'm in debt to all, and he ends that book with, don't owe anybody anything. So if you think about that, if you are a believer this morning, if you are redeemed, we have a responsibility. We owe all men. We are in debt to all men. We owe them the gospel. We owe them the gospel. And here's the problem with that. In my life, and maybe in a handful of other folks that are here, I'm sure I'm maybe not the only one, but we, we put a lot of effort in getting out of owing stuff on our car, right? And, and there's a good thing. Get, pay your debts off, right? Pay your house off. Pay your, pay your cars off. Pay your credit cards if you do that kind of thing. Pay them off. But we put a whole lot of other attention getting out of that secular debt and not much attention on getting out of our spiritual debt to all men. Because we, we owe them the gospel and we should not be content in that debt. We are to owe no man anything. And the only conclusion we can come to and that situation is really the same situation that Paul came to in Romans 15, Romans 1.15. He said this, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. As much as in me is, all of me, as much power as I got, I'm going to do what I can to pay that debt. I owe them the gospel. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel. Word for word, Romans 1.15. And friends, this is our responsibility as well, as individuals, as families, and definitely as a church. This is God's structure, God's organism, his organization to make full proof of our ministry to pay that debt. Are we living a responsible life? Are you redeemed? I hope so. Don't leave here without being redeemed. Are you responsible? You are, but are you living in light of that responsibility? As much as in me is, Paul says, I am ready to preach the gospel. So in that statement there, we should not only have a responsible life, but we also should have a ready life. A ready life. Look at verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7 in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. He says, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, for the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So verse 5 begins with an apostolic charge to watch. And verse 6 continues with, I am ready. I am now ready to be offered. Friends, we must live a ready life. We must be ready, ready to preach, ready to serve, ready to work, ready to do whatever God wants us to do, ready to live for him and ready to die, ready to be offered, ready for anything. And Paul's first epistle to Timothy, he wrote, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. We too must take heed to ourselves. We must 
pay attention and see these responsibilities and be ready for what God has for us. You know, in Philippians chapter one, Paul said this. He said that I have a desire to depart. Y'all know this passage. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I mean, we can stay there for a long time. Is our abiding in the flesh needful to others? In other words, we should have a great desire to be with the Lord. There's no doubt about that. And I think Christians generally, I hope, have a great desire to see the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There should be that great desire. But there should also be a desire to abide in the flesh. You don't hear that much from a Baptist preacher, do you? We should have a desire to abide in the flesh, not for the flesh's sake, but for others' sake. To tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ for the primary reason of bringing glory to God. By ministering to others, we should be ready to preach the gospel. We are to be always ready to minister, to serve, in season and out of season. When you feel like it, when you don't feel like it. When people like it, when they don't like it. We should always be ready to serve. And at the same time, be ready to meet Jesus. At the same time. In order for us truly to be able to say when we stand before the judge that I have fought a good fight and I have kept the faith, that means we have to be fighting the good fight now and keeping the faith now. This is how we stand ready. We, of course, cannot see the future. But just like any organization, the military, fire departments and things like that, they that deal with real world conflicts and disasters, we can be ready. There are some things we can do to be ready. We can be ready by studying to show ourselves approved unto God. We can be ready by rightly dividing the word of God. We can be ready by keeping our eyes on the Lord. We can be ready by doing what we're doing here this morning. We can be ready through prayer. And on and on and on down that list we could go on how to be ready for the Lord. We can be ready by enduring present afflictions. Which we'll talk about that here in a moment. And we can also maintain spiritual readiness by helping others be ready for the judge by doing the work of an evangelist. I think this is what it means to be usable and meet for the master's use. To be ready, to be redeemed, to be responsible, to be ready. It, all of that comes in a package and it, that package keeps building as we'll see through this, this text, this, more, this sermon this morning. But this is what it means to fulfill our responsibilities, to be meet for the master's use. You know, the only way Paul could say in confidence that he was ready to be offered at the time of his departure, because number one, he knew that he was redeemed. And because he was redeemed, he did his very best. Number two, to fulfill those responsibilities to him by Jesus Christ. We've been talking about it for a long time now. We can, there's two ways that we approach Jesus Christ as believers. We can do so in confidence or we can do so in shame. Both require repentance, but we can do it in confidence if we live a, a life of perpetual repentance. Over and over and over again, we keep our lives straight before God and we do those things that he expects of us. Those responsibilities. Paul can say he was ready because he gave his best to fulfill the responsibilities given to him by Jesus Christ. 
And quite frankly, Paul was not just meat for the master's use. He was ready to meet the master. Are we? Now, I'm not talking about salvation. We're, we're on the foundation now of salvation. In that foundation, on that foundation, as a believer, as a, as a child of God, are we ready to meet the master? Because we are meat for the master. Are we prepared? Are we fit for the father's use? Are we living that responsible life ready for whatever comes our way? Paul was ready to be offered. He knew that he lived his life in the cold shadow of the executioner's axe. Like our Savior who anguished in the shadow of death on the dark side of Calvary, he feared no evil. He was ready. Are you ready? Part of me wants to go by and just ask you by names. Are you ready, Harry? Are you ready, Brother Tyler? Brother Shannon, are you, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you redeemed? Are you fulfilling your responsibilities in Christ? Has God tugged on your heart to do a little more? To do more for your church? To do more for your community? To do more for missions? Has God tugged on your heart to do more for your children? He has me. More for your spouse. Is God speaking to you to do something more with your life for the cause of Christ? Are you ready? Simply put, a ready life is synonymous to a surrendered life. And it's characterized by faithfulness. A life of faith. And I think when these three, th these three things are present in our life, a redemption, responsibilities, a recognition of those responsibilities, and we are ready to fulfill those responsibilities, they will naturally lead us to this next point. Look at verse 7. Paul again says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Not to me only, but to, unto all them also that love his appearance. I got to tell you, this, this, past, this point here, this whatever you want to call it, this truth, this Roman numeral number four, a rewarding life, is the most motivational point of this whole sermon to me. Friends, we are to live a rewarding life. Paul was personally and fully persuaded that he was redeemed. He made sure he lived responsibly before God. He wasn't perfect, but he made sure he took those responsibilities serious. And because of that, he was ready to be offered. He finished his course. It's like in this, in this text here, we see it in this last chapter of, of Paul. It's like he's been running races and he just broke the tape on the last race. And he knew it was the last race. He fought the good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. And the very person that he'd been running for was at the finish line on the other side of the tape waiting for him. You know, what a glory it is to know that my Jesus will be the first one greeting me at the finish line. Your Jesus, God in the flesh. He will be there in person to give you a crown of righteousness as a reward for a life of faith. What greater motivation can there be? What more reason than this could there be to compel us to live 
a life of faith. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul wrote this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, I must say that one of the greatest prizes and the highest crown we will ever receive is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing more special, nor are there words more sweet than Jesus greeting us at the finish line and saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, come on. I mean, when you're a child and you're you're running out there, maybe you just you barely got to, uh, on your you went from a, a training wheels to a regular bike and you made it across that line. And there's one of your parents there saying, good job. That means something to us. That means something. It should mean something to every believer that when we cross this this door of life into the next door of life, into the next portion of our eternity, there's our Savior saying, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. Let me bless you with many things. Here is your crown. And I want to be clear here that salvation, this is not what we're talking about here. Salvation is given completely by grace through faith. We do not earn salvation. The crown of righteousness, however, is something that we disproportionately earn. I say disproportionately because we can really never earn it. Only by faith and repentance and by God's grace can we earn anything from Him. Referring to the judgment coming when we finish our race, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, If any, man work, if any man's work abide, if we do something down here, we sh- for God, we shall receive a reward. But if any man's work shall be burned... In other words, it's not, it doesn't amount to anything for God. He shall suffer loss. He will lose his rewards. But the Bible says he himself shall be saved, yet to us by fire. So that means we can get into heaven by the grace of God with nothing to give God, with no rewards. These rewarding crowns in the Bible are just that, rewards. You see, Jesus earned our salvation on the cross, and he gives it to us through faith. And we, in turn, earn rewards, rewards through a life of faith and repentance. The rewarding crowns in the Bible are just that. They are rewards. It has nothing to do with your eternal life, with your salvation. God is not bestowing righteousness with this crown of righteousness. Paul has already got righteousness from God through the cross. God put that upon him when he accepted Christ as his Savior. And God put it upon you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. It came by way of the cross. This crown of righteousness, therefore, is a reward for a life of faith. It's a mark for the Christian who fought the good fight, a Christian who finished the course, a Christian who kept the faith. It's a crown for the redeemed, for the responsible, and for the ready. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. 1 Peter 5, 4 says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And here in our text, Paul says, Here is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. So we have the crown of life. We have a crown of glory. We have a crown of righteousness. But notice in that text and those other verses there, not just to Paul, not just to James, not just to Peter, to all of us, unto all of them also that love his appearing. 
I think what compelled me the most, what motivates me the most about this point is that I can live a rewarding life. We can earn rewards. We can earn the crowns of life, glory, and righteousness. Think of how great our God is for a moment. Think about how great Jesus Christ is for a moment. He atoned for our sin on the cross. He allowed us to partake in His glory. He gives us eternal life and many other things, all freely by His grace through faith. And on top of that, He gives us rewards according to His faithfulness, or to our faithfulness. Rewards according to our faithfulness. You know, I have no idea what these crowns will look like. I have no idea what they'll be like, how big they are, what they'll smell like. I have no idea. I don't think they'll be like the ones you get at Burger King. Probably not that. They're going to be wonderful crowns. But if we, if we were to understand, take your Bible and go to Revelation chapter 4. If we were to understand the 24 elders here in, Rome, in Revelation chapter 4 to represent the church, which I believe that they do. Uh, there's a good argument that the 24 here, some have even uh, suggested that that's the 12 apostles, uh, the, 12, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, all together in the name of Christ, coming together to do something for the Lord. Look at verses 10 and 11. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. Four and twenty elders, they fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. They, again, as a picture of the church, they cast their crowns before Him. Truthfully, if earning these crowns can be considered the greatest honor because they are bestowed on us by Jesus Christ when we cross that finish line, how much more spectacular is it going to be for us to be able to give back to God something that we earned? So, to the God who owns it all, to the God who created it all, to, to, to the God that if, if nothing is here, that's not because of him. It's God. He created all things. And to be able to, I mean, look at us in here. I mean, we, 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 I guess we dress up a little good, maybe, on the outside, on our talk and our walk. But we know us here. We know us. We know us here for this, to be able to give God something. You ever you remember your little children when they're like two or three or something like that on Christmas or your birthday and, and they wrap up something and they give to you as a parent? Remember those days? I mean, just something small. I mean, it's a toy. They got out of their toy box or something, you know, but they had some kind of desire to give something to you. We can do so much greater for our Savior. We can give something to the God who has everything. Wow. It's not unreasonable for us to live a rewarding life. It's reasonable. It's not above and beyond the call of duty to live a rewarding life. In fact, there are millions of compelling reasons for us to live a life of faith. And then I want you to look at verse number 9. 
This, this verse number nine I sent to my brother not long ago. He's in Wyoming. I keep trying to invite him to come over here. I said, do thy diligence to come surely to me. <laughs> but Paul is telling this to Timothy, and he continues by saying, by saying, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with me, for he or bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. And Tychicus have I sent unto Ephesus to cloak uh, the parchments. He says, bring with him. For, verse fourteen says, Alexander the coppersmith did be much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Verse fifteen, of whom thou beware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. You can almost read as I sat the bottom of that dungeon in Rome. All men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. So not only do we, must we live these four things, but also a resilient life. Even when no one but the Lord stands with us, even when it's only Jesus Christ, we must stand. Even when your pastor goes off in the, I don't know, some heresy, stand with Jesus Christ. Stand with Jesus Christ. Even when it's only Him, stand on the truths of Scripture. Even when the likes of Demas and Alexander the coppersmith come our way, we must remain resilient. The contrast between these two is striking. It's important to recognize. In two letters, in two other letters, to the Colossians and to Philemon, Demas was a close companion to Paul. You could say he was his friend. Demas was in the ministry with Paul. It was like, you know, us, a handful of men here who have been here for a couple of years together. They were with each other for a number of years. Demas was his co-laborer in Christ. But Demas fell away, yielding to the temptation of the devil and the loving this present world more than the ministry of the gospel. We can go there for a long time if we wanted to. Because on one hand, we like to judge Demas for leaving Paul when Paul probably needed him the most, but on the other hand, and all too often, we're just like Demas. Yes, he forsook Paul, but even more so, he denied the Lord. And in context, when we are hurt by someone this close, when we are hurt by a Demas, praise, I just want to say, it's not in my notes here, I guess, but don't be a Demas. Don't let the world keep you from this. Let this let this gathering, let the Word of God, let prayer be your excuse from doing things in the world and not the other way around. Don't forsake the church for the world. But when you are hurt by a man like Demas, someone that's close to you in the ministry, choose to stand. Choose to stand. I've shared with this a couple of times on maybe the evening services and the, the midweek services, but I've unfortunately been through a church split. I've been through a, a, uh, a church when the majority of the deacons rose up against the pastor and tried to cast him out for silly reasons. Yes, he needed to repent, and yes, there's some things wrong. We all need to repent. But we went through those things, and it was not fun. Choose to stand. Choose to stand. I made it a point going through those things. I will not leave this church because the church is greater than any one man and any collection of deacons. It's greater than this man. It's greater than all of this. This is Christ's church. He is the shepherd. Don't forsake his church. Don't be hurt or don't allow the hurt of a demon to cause you to run away from the ministry. There can be stories told all over the history of, of Christianity. Oh, I don't go to church because that deacon says something to me and I don't like the way he said that. 
I'm never going to church again. It's like your McDonald's story, right? So just ridiculous. I mean, if I'm going to use that if I can remember all of it. So you go to McDonald's and man, this is the worst McDonald's in the world. But then you go back there. Oh, they burnt my hand on a coffee cup. Well, that's a different story. You can sue them and get millions of dollars. But, but you go back to the McDonald's. You complain about the restaurants all day long, but here you are going back to the McDonald's again. Let's have a higher commitment to God's church than we do have to or for McDonald's. I think that's an easy conclusion there. But the fact of the matter is people hurt people. People hurt people, even Christians. We're not perfect. But our commitment to our Savior must be greater than our circumstances. Always. Be resilient. Because not only will we be forsaken by people like Demas, we will be attacked by the folks of Ale like Alexander the coppersmith here. He did Paul much evil. Paul wrote that he greatly withstood his words. He greatly withstood the gospel. And there are two sides to this coin as well. You know, we will never recognize the opposition if there's nothing to oppose. We will never recognize the world's opposition if we are not reaching the world with the gospel. They can't oppose the words of the gospel if they do not hear the words of the gospel. The world cannot oppose things they don't know of. We must tell them the truth. If you don't like telling people, you don't like talking to people, we have all kinds of tracks. Just give them. Just hand them out. they got the gospel and every one of those tracks down there. It tells people how to be saved. Just give them. And if they throw it in the trash, you are obedient. Praise God. Give them, the, give them the truth. Give them the gospel. But on the other hand, when it comes to folks like Alexander, when you know that you are being obedient to the truth and that opposition to the truth arises because of your words or your actions, Praise God. Praise God. Stay the course. Stay resilient. Live that resilient life. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure all things. Continue in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of. Endure afflictions. Do the work of the evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. Don't quit. Use that as motivation to go even further. Fight the good fight of faith. Finish your course. Keep the faith. In this farewell letter to Timothy, Paul is saying that regardless of what happens to me, Timothy, I might die in this dungeon. Stay the course. Stay the course. Be resilient. Continue living a life of faith. Be resilient. And then lastly this morning, I want to give you one more thing as we close this last letter from Paul to the world. Look at verse 17. He says, the Lord stood with me. He strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute Prisca, salute Aquila and salute the household of Anesiphorus. Erastus is still in Corinth, but Trophimus, he's still at Miletum's sake. Timothy, do your diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greets you. Prudence uh, and Linus and Claudia, they, all of the brethren, they greet you. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. I want you to look at verse 17 again. The Bible says, The Lord strengthened him that by the preaching 
that by him the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. Friends, we should live a residual life. There should be something in our life that remains. Not for boastfulness, but we are to leave a mark. I've shared this with Pastor Rennick a couple times when I was here. If a hundred years from now, I'm people, maybe not a hundred years from now, 50 years, whatever. Sometime in the future, you guys that are leaving here, you go to another church and you're in the military and you go from one church to the next. And you remember that God spoke to you here and it changed your life and you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you don't remember my name. Hallelujah. Praise God. I was used by God to leave a mark. There should be some trace of our Christian life in this world. Is there a trace of your Christianity in your sphere of influence? We are to make an impact for the cause of Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, as we kind of near or close here, I know it's kind of late here, but the thing, Paul wrote, The things which happen unto me have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. That should be our lot. And here in verse 17, he says, The Lord stood with me. He strengthened me that by the preaching, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. While Christ is our Savior and zero credit goes to Paul for the atonement of our sins, the gospel was first brought to us Gentiles through the Apostle Paul. He was a man who chose to surrender himself for the cause of Christ. And God used him to make spiritual footprints around this globe. And again, we certainly don't serve in order to leave a legacy for self. We want to serve to leave a legacy for our Savior. But if someone were to follow your spiritual footprints, where do they lead? Do they lead to Jesus Christ? Do your spiritual footprints lead to Jesus Christ? Or are you even leaving any spiritual footprints? Paul says, the reason I am here, the reason that the Lord stood with me is that the preaching might be fully known and that the Gentiles might hear. That is our purpose. That is our purpose. How is your life of faith? Are you his? Are you redeemed? Are you living responsible? Are you ready for whatever comes your way? Do you expect rewards at the end? Are you tough enough to endure? And will you leave a mark? Leave a mark for Jesus. A mark for the master. Let's pray.